to give thanks unto the Lord and to sing His praises and to magnify Him. Amen? Amen. Amen. Would you please turn with me to Mark chapter 15? And we are winding down our study in the book of Mark. In this season, we've come to see that he, in fact, is the King, the Son of God. Mark portrays him as such and is teaching us how to be disciples of that King. What I want to share with you this morning is an amazing story of the kingship of the Lord Jesus Christ. You remember we, we realized that at his birth, he was called a king. According to Luke chapter 1, verse 32 and 33, Gabriel told Mary, he shall be great. He will be called son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. You see, at his birth, he was coronated, he was declared king. And Mary hid these things in her her heart. We see that when he began his ministry, he, he went into the wilderness temptation, coming out of that, empowered by the anointing of the Holy Spirit. He walked into the synagogue, and he turned to Isaiah 61, and he declared this, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring the good news to the poor, sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, opening prison doors to those who are bound, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He closed the book and said, and today this is fulfilled in your midst. The king declaring what his majesty and rule will accomplish. Then we see on this final week as he is entering in to the Passover week into Jerusalem, we saw his triumphal entry where everybody sang Hosanna and had palm branches and declared, Hosanna in the highest, save us now, O son of David. The reception of a king properly on the day that Daniel had prophesied ancient times ago that Messiah King would ride into Jerusalem. In fact, it's prophesied and written in Luke and Matthew, according to Zechariah 9.9, when Jesus would ride in, it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout for triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a donkey was prepared for him since his birth, called king. Since his baptism and the beginning of his ministry, the anointing of a king to release captives and set those free who are bound and blind. As his entrance into the final week of Passover week, his triumphal entry declared by Zechariah that this is your king, here he is. Pharisees said, shut them up. And Jesus said, if I shut them up, the rocks themselves will cry out because this is prophetic. This is from ancient times, from the beginning. Even before time, it was declared that I would be the king. And I would come forward. But everything took a turn for the worse, didn't it? Judas betrays. And now the king king of great joy 
becomes a man of sorrows. And that's where we pick up in Mark 15. But what I want you to see as we read in Mark 15, there's going to be a question asked repeatedly to him and a statement made over him. Are you the king, king of the Jews, king of the Jews, king of the Jews? Mark is emphasizing his kingship. And as we begin, we see in 15, he has been arrested. And as soon as it was morning, after the foolishness of the all-night court and uh, the, the kangaroo court that was set up for him, it says the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council. They bound Jesus and led him away, delivering him to Pilate. And Pilate asked him this, are you the king of the Jews? And he answered them, you have said so. Now you can take that in a lot of different ways. You could take it as, hey, you say so. I think Jesus was a little more emphatic than that. More deliberate and more direct in his response. You say so. Or it is so. And the chief priests accused him of many things. And Pilate asked him again, have you no answer to make from these charges? Jesus had nothing to say to those charges. Now, at the feast, he used to release one prisoner. And I want you to know something. Pilate's trying to figure out, did these priests and the heads, are they jealous? It says, he figured they were jealous of Jesus, so they want him killed. But the people surely want him as their king. He says he's the king. He doesn't deny it. He doesn't even deal with these, these accusations. And so he says, you know what? Because of this Passover, we always release one prisoner. I'm going to put it to a vote of the people. Can I tell you something? Kings are not made by democratic vote. You don't elect a king. He is chosen by the powers and the authorities, ultimately by God. And so he puts it out to them. Do you want this? Is this your king? In verse 8, he, he, he says, I'll start at 7, And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man named Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them saying, Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? Again, the reference to king, reference to king, reference to king. For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered him up. Ah, but the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have them release Barabbas. And Pilate again, again said to them, What shall I do with this man that you call the king of the Jews? Barabbas, Barabbas. And and Pilate is, is befuddled, he's confused, he's giving them back their so-called king. In fact, it was just a week earlier. They called him a few days earlier. They called him son of David, Hosanna in the highest. But now they're stirred by another leadership, a group who say, call for Barabbas, call for Barabbas. You imagine being Barabbas, a choice between Barabbas and King Jesus. I believe God spares that man's life so that he may come to know King Jesus. 
But instead, their response to this king and his declaration as king is crucify him. Crucify him. And Pilate said, why, what evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, crucify him, crucify him. Pilate is stuck. He's stuck with no other decision. This is your king of the Jews. And so the king is now mocked. And the king of joy now becomes the man of sorrows. And it says, And the soldiers led him away inside the palace, the governor's headquarters, and they called together a whole battalion, and they clothed him in a purple cloak, and they twisted together a crown of thorns, and they put it on him, and they began to salute him. All hail the king of the Jews! Mocking his kingship. Mocking this king. You see, there are times when people mock Jesus who do not know that he is Lord despite the fact that he is. It doesn't depend on popular opinion polls. It doesn't depend on what the world believes. If all the world was lost and there was but yet one, he is still king. He is king of all. And if all of mankind would reject him, he is still king, king of all. But thank God, he has a people that he has called forth who recognize him as king. He is king. If you spit on Jesus, he's still king. If you slap him in the face, he's still king. Humble, gentle, mild, lowly. You can pull out his beard, he's still king. You can tear off his clothes, he's still king. You can beat him with 49 lashes, he's still king. You can make him crawl to a cross. He's still king. You can nail him to that cross. He's still the king. Even though you may not know him as such, that is who he is. King of all. It says as we read on, They began to salute him, saying, All hail, King of the Jews. And they were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling down in homage. And when they mocked him, they stripped him of his purple cloak and put put his clothes on him and they led him out to crucify him. says they grabbed a man and said, Help him carry the cross. They took him to Golgotha, tried to give him a mixing of myrrh, but he wouldn't take it. And they separated his garments as they began to nail him to that cross. And in verse 26 it says, And they nailed upon that cross over his head an inscription that said, The King of the Jews. They lifted him on that cross. Those who were on either side, the thieves mocked him. The crowd mocked him. The Pharisees, the scribes, and the Uh, priest mocked him and said oh come on if you're the messiah the king of israel come down from that cross and it is now that the king of all is a man of sorrows he's the king of sorrow because it declares in isaiah 53 verses 3 and 4 it says he was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, 
acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised. We esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteem him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. I can't imagine any greater sorrow than being rejected by your own creation. If you'll remember, it is the Word of God that created all things, and that Word became flesh. Jesus is the creator of all things. And the pinnacle of His creation is mankind. And when He came to reveal the Father's love for mankind, we spit on Him, we crucified Him. Without Christ, you and I would have done the same thing. Don't look at these people and consider them horrible and something different than we are. For when God came to man, all of mankind was depraved. It says we were all, we all went astray. We all esteem Him as that of something we do not want. And a man, broken as he spat upon, beaten, nailed to a cross. And here is where the the epitome of his sorrow and grief comes. For all of the sins of mankind were laid upon his body. He carried our sin, our sickness, our disease upon himself. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. There could be no greater grief in one who is in perfect right standing with the Father, the Son and the Father, one in perfection, one in unity, one in nature, face to face, now stripped and accursed by hanging on a tree brokenhearted before his father as he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? A man of grief and a man of sorrows. So, how do we reckon the man of sorrows with a king of joy? And here, is the key. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 says this, For the joy set before Him, Jesus endured the cross. Despising the shame, He is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. You see, because when He gave up the ghost, when He cried and committed His spirit unto the Father, when He vanquished sin and death, and broke it on that third day, rising from the dead, ascending into the very presence of the Father. It was finished. It was done. Sorrow, broken, shame, defeated, and now the joy that was set before Him, He endured that cross. He was willing to be brokenhearted as His broke burst open 
and water and blood came forth. He was willing to endure the shame and the disgust of all the depravity of man and all sin upon him. He was willing to take that because there was a greater joy, a greater joy that he could see. That joy was obedience to his father. That joy was obedience that this is what father's heart was longing for restoration with man god so loved the world he gave jesus and how if jesus would not endure this how it would break his father's heart how it would stop all that father had intended from before the beginning of time he must endure he must take the shame but see you must understand the weight of that shame the weight of the sin the weight of the pain the weight of the sorrow because joy comes in the morning that weight brings a joy greater than any could understand yet for the joy set before him joy unspeakable Joy unspeakable and full of glory. No human heart could understand this kind of joy. No human could understand the joy of perfect relationship with the Father, pleasing Him in perfection and uniting Him in oneness. We don't understand it except through Jesus. It's a joy that's unspeakable. You can't say it. You don't have enough adjectives. Your language and English can't accomplish it. How beautiful Greek is it cannot even match what it means in the language of God. Hebrew cannot touch it. You can't dance and jump high enough. You can't sing long enough. It's a joy unending and full, 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 complete in glory. That is the joy of the resurrection. That is the joy of the accomplishment of Jesus Christ. This thing isn't cheap. This thing isn't something we forget about. For all eternity, we will revel in the joy of what Christ completed because that's what got us there with Him. Aaron Levici puts it this way. He says, the joy was the reward of pleasing His Father. You see, righteousness... The term righteousness means right relationship, a rightness. And there is only one that we must be right with and can be right with, and that is the Father. And we can't right our wrongs. We can't right our relationship with Him by any work we accomplish, any effort we make, any words we speak cannot right us with Father's holiness. There is only one who could right us with His holiness, and that is Christ. And it is the joy, the satisfaction that he righted broken relationship of mankind with the Father. Once again, through him, the bridge, King Jesus. It is a kingdom of righteousness, of rightness. Now all who are born into this kingdom through his spirit have a rightness with him. Oh, the joy was the reward of pleasing his Father and for gaining a bride. 
Joy empowered him. You see, it was yet for the joy set before him. That anticipation of joy caused him to endure and empowered him to suffer. That same joy is set before you this day. Although it is secured for you, it's not based on your ability, it's not based on your works, it's not based on what you've done. It's already based by faith in Jesus Christ. Your future glory and joy is already set. So can we not endure trials now for the joy that is ours? Count it all joy. When these trials and these sufferings come on you. For the power of the joy of your eternal salvation can help you endure what you have to face today. Oh, there's no power like the power of joy. Amen? The joy of the Lord is what? Our strength. Strength to empower you to face whatever you have to face. And we can face it with a song in our heart, with a hope of glory in our eyes, set cast before the Lord. I may have to endure pain. I may have to endure suffering. But it's only for a season because joy comes in a morning that will last for all eternity when the dawn of the sun comes up. Oh, praise God. Aaron Levici says this, You were the joy that empowered him before you were born. You were a force and a thought in his mind that actually empowered God himself to suffer on your behalf. God thought of you. I want you to know something that the joy of King Jesus, the joy that Jesus has in accomplishing this great salvation has your name on it. And his joy is perfect. That means you're supposed to be there. That is perfected. Your name is in that mix. It's not to be taken out. It's not to be removed. It is all that is there for eternity and for the purpose of God's accomplishments and His sovereignty. Your name is part of the joy when He speaks. Your name, it echoes, it reverberates in the joy of the King. You're His bride. You're His beloved. It's amazing. Hebrews chapter 1 says this, he's quoting Psalm 45 about King Jesus, and he says this, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. Now this is Yahweh calling Jesus God. Yahweh says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness therefore God your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions therefore God your God has anointed you with the oil of joy his scepter now a scepter is what the king holds The scepter is what he moves to make his commands. It is the rod, the shepherd's rod. It is an imitation of what a shepherd would use. It is a scepter that declares, shut up, go away, come here. It is said, it is done. And his scepter is perfect rightness with the Father. Everything he does, he hates. 
He hates injustice. He hates anything that is opposed to the Father's will. And so the anointing of King Jesus, do you you understand this? His scepter that he has received as he rose from the dead, his scepter is the completed perfect will of the Father. Accomplished at this point in the fullness of time to restore all of the fallen creation back unto the Father. That is perfect rightness because he lived the law to perfection, never sinning. Breaking the power of death and restoring right relationship. This king rules with a rightness with the Father. And he gives that rightness to every one of us. And it came time for the anointing of the king. King Jesus, as he was anointed, was anointed with what? The oil of gladness. Another translation, the oil of joy. You see, Jesus has perfected and accomplished all that God wanted to accomplish. He is ruling and reigning now through his church, bringing all his enemies as to his footstool. We look at this earth and we are people of sorrow. We're like the man of sorrow. We're under the weight of the sin. We see it. We, we wrestle with it every day. We're trialed, troubled by it. We may even have lashes from it. And we have the sorrow that man can have over this earth and what is ever under the sun. But I want you to know something. There is a king who is full of joy and full of glory. He doesn't see this thing defeated. He doesn't see this thing wrong. He makes all things right. He does all things well. There is joy over his creation, joy over his bride, joy over his people. Don't think for a minute God is disappointed and God is going, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? I don't know what's next. Now there's another enemy against my church. Oh no. What am I going to do? Give me the plans. I've got to reread what's supposed to happen. We've got a king that is full of joy. We've got a heaven that is rejoicing every moment in creation. I want you to know that the angels sing every time someone's saved. The Bible says that when a lost one gets found, the angels rejoice. So in a world that has a clock 24-7, I want you to know every minute, every second, someone's getting saved so the rejoicing never stops in heaven. The kingdom of joy is advancing. The kingdom of joy is in our heart. It's in here. I've got joy like a fountain in my soul. You can beat me, but I've got joy. I know where I'm going. I've got joy. That kingdom never stops. I want you to know in the book of Revelation, there has to be a forced stop and silence for a half hour. The book of Revelation, it says, and for a half hour, there was silence in heaven. It has to be forced because heaven don't get quiet. There is no silence in heaven. You don't stop praising the Lord. Even the seraphim 24-7 rejoice at his glory. The covering cherub rejoice because souls are being saved. The 24 elders rejoice casting down their crowns. And the church that is there with him now is rejoicing. Oh, if there's going to be anything quiet or any silence, it'll be forced. I can't imagine what that moment's going to be like. I mean, angels biting their tongues. Thinking, I wasn't made for this. I don't know what to do with this. 
they're ready to give praise to God, and it's got to be silent for a half hour. Pentecostals aren't going to be able to handle it. I know someone's going to want to go, amen, thank you, Jesus. There's going to be such a holy presence, you better not, you better not open your mouth. Oh, I'm telling you, there is joy. We've forgotten that he is a king of joy. He is anointed with joy and gladness. It says in Psalm 16, Therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul in hell or let your, or shoal the grave and let your Holy One see corruption. Who is this talking about? Jesus. And he says this about himself. My heart is glad. My whole being is rejoicing because my flesh dwells secure. You'll not abandon me in the grave nor let your Holy One see corruption. You'll make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Where did Jesus ascend to? The right hand of the Father. He is the pleasures evermore. He is the joy. He is all of it. Oh, why so downcast? Oh, my soul. Put your trust in God. There's a joy here. Now, I understand pain and sorrow. Believe me, I understand pain and sorrow. I've been laid out retching and crying and weeping. I know pain and sorrow. But I want to tell you, it cannot compare to the glory and the joy that we are going to experience in Him. So whatever you're going through, may there be joy set in your heart right now. A joy unspeakable and a joy full of glory. Let us bow our heads.